Look at you Out there Up the streets in the avenue Marching Rallies Shouts 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 We're gonna change We're gonna change That's a word we made up in Occupy Wall Street. It combines the word revolution, obviously, with alleluia, as in alleluia, alleluia. So you've got basic change, a revolutionary change, combined with the joy, the glory, yes, the relief of liberation. And I hope that's what we've got right now. This is Reverend Billy in New York with the Church of Stop Shopping. We're still in lockdown in the last days of our lockdown. And next, Monday the 8th, will be a step into the sunlight for us. But you know what? We've already stepped out there. We have rallies and riots all night long right now. Police chasing us down the streets, shooting pepper gas into the air, coming at us, ramming us with their vehicles. We are trying to respond in a, a revolutionary way. That's right. To the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmoud Arbery, and all the thousands upon thousands of people who are being murdered by these strong men and their soldiers and police around the world. In fact, this uprising has taken place in 75 countries last count. This is, for the first time in years, this is a revolution. Let's sing about it. Do I hear a sound? Beware. Poison pollination times mass incarceration equals planet devastation. They privatize the nickel dime our lives. What gas we to survive the worldwide plantation? Our water, air, land, homes, job, food, schools, and books. 
snuck and took it. The Wall Street boxed it, picking our bones and our scabs just like a vulture while spreading the scourge of global monoculture. Cause they want you a consumer, Jason in a stupor, apathetic, sedated, and politically neutered. Or you can be a real citizen, bring your dreams into the streets and stand for all that you believe. And that's the Stop Shopping Choir. Dragonfly is on the spoken word rap poem there with the information age has something it won't say. Climate change kills the poor every day. It comes down from the sky, comes up from the waves. The bankster, disaster, is programmed to slay. Deforestation plus poison pollination. Mass incarceration equals planet devastation. We have some intersectionality there. Mass incarceration equals planet devastation. Not a lot of people would equate in any way the prison problem in the United States with the collapse of ecosystems. But that's the way that people are starting to look with new perspectives at the problems that we have in the world. Dragonfly is a black woman who risks arrest. She sings these songs with the Stop Shopping Choir as we cross a property line into the lobby of a J.P. Morgan Chase bank, into a Monsanto laboratory, a Walmart to exorcise the cash register. There's no demon that is safe from our invasion. And we take our cues, we learn our lesson from the civil rights movement. We're singing as you went into that place you were not welcome. And also act up. The struggle against the AIDS virus, the struggle to get treatment for the people who are sick and to find the cure, the vaccine for the virus. Sounds like COVID-19, doesn't it? Speaking of which, last night I was lucky to be in a 
demonstration by the frontline caregivers of New York City. Thousands of folks in their hospital. You know, the doctors had their white coats and the nurses had their, their blue scrubs with their plastic gloves and their masks and their hair nets. Uh, a lot of them seemed as if they had come straight from hospital shifts. They were gathering in Times Square, and it was all about racism. It was all about the police murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmud Arbray. Say the name. Say the name. It must have been three or four thousand of these nurses and doctors and attendants from nursing homes. And they were surrounded for a while by police. Not quite surrounded, but the police were there and they were a presence. And the police sort of faded away after a while, and I think it was because of the level of anger. It was also because of who it was. These are the heroes. They are the heroes, and they should be. All of them lost two or three or five friends in their intensive unit or in their intensive care wing of the hospital. And they lost those friends because those friends did not have adequate financing of Protection, protective personal protection, the masks, the changing gowns when you're exposed to the virus, or especially, the famously, the ventilator machines. And of course, the police are overfinanced. Why are the police even there? Do they think that the caregivers are going to loot the stores? I don't think so. So the police kind of faded away. And black lives matter, black lives matter, black lives matter. It was heartwarming and surprising. And it gave you the feeling of, yes, this is a revolution. Like Dragonfly was singing, this is a revolution. And these people will be, they will be willing to continue to risk their lives. They already are. And that's the kind of thing that you need for a social movement to turn into a revolution where real change takes place. Enough people are willing to put life and limb on the line. And then enough people are willing to support them and protect them. Everybody has their role. But you have to have some people that really, really risk everything. And there they were. And it really is, right now, the story of police murdering unarmed people of color. And that picture of George Floyd and his pleading for his life, I can't breathe. Quoting from his fellow victim, Eric Garner, that guides us all right now. This movement, this revolution, based on that cruelty, we must change. Here's another song from the Stop Shopping Choir. Man down, brother down. Hey! can't breathe. Monday at the deli, talking all at once, grabbing hands and shouting, get home safe. Tuesday school's out early, wandering through the park, throwing shade and laughing, get home safe. Wednesday after practice, walking to the train, streets alive apart, get home safe. 
Working late on Thursday, trying to stay awake. Parking lot is empty, get home safe. Man down, brother down. Man down, brother down. Friday's family dinner, don't be late. Can't keep your mama waiting, get home safe. Saturday's the wedding, girls dress up. Watching out the window, get home safe. And even Sunday, there's no resting. Even Sunday, get home safe. Man down, brother down. Man down, brother down. Man down, get home safe. the street and I realized that I had Donald Trump's wall hanging from my neck. I realized that I have a wall, a thick, a thick wall that I push around with my body all day long all over New York City. That's why I walk so slowly. I'm pushing this wall. Now why is that you might ask? That's because my name is William. That's a Latin sentence, William. The verb is at the end. I am my will. That's how you translate that. In other words, I am not actual. I am not real. I want to be. I'm willing myself to be something real, but I'm stuck in my intention. I'm stuck in my ambition. I am my will. I am my will. I, 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 I will it. I will that. I will that next thing. I will that to take place. That's the wall. That's the wall. I'm never there. I'm like a classic American. Over there, over there. I'm dreaming of getting over there. But I'm here. Someday I'll be over there. And so what do I do? I buy things that promise me that I'll get over there. 
that promised me status and youth and good looks and power and money and getting laid. That's actual. And I will get all that stuff if I buy things. Here's my credit card. Swipe, 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 swipe. Am I real yet? And then a beautiful stranger walks up to me. William, she says. Hello. I said, hey there. And she says, follow me. So I follow this beautiful stranger. She walks me into a building, into a building, and walks me up some steps into a dark room. And she says, this is the library of last moments. Oh. But, but, but there aren't, there are not any books here. And then I turn and she's gone. And then my head fills with thoughts. Last moments. A big white policeman is aiming a gun at me, demanding my ID, demanding my name. Get down on your face, get down on the ground, stop resisting, and he shoots me. I die. And there's another policeman, and three policemen, and ten policemen. I'm getting shot again and again and again. And I'm having these last moments. And I'm falling, and I'm falling, and I'm falling, and it's painful. And I'm thinking the thoughts that people think when they have these last moments. I'm seeing my loved ones. I'm seeing my children. I'm seeing my parents, my best friends. And I'm having a floating sensation as I fall. I float up. And the policemen now number in the hundreds. And they're all shooting, all shooting forcing me out of the library of last moments up through the ceiling i'm floating over the fields of flowers i'm walking in the street in new york trump's wall is not in front of me anymore I know for other people to be safe, I will have to be right here with them on the street. I'll have to walk up to them and not have that wall. Trump's wall. <laughs> the thing I got around my neck. I'm just one person with a particular background. I think it's a common intoxicating neurotic thing that I grew up in. My family was trying to uh, get off the farm and into the city, I think, and up into a penthouse. My grandfather had dirt under his fingernails and my fingernails are supposed to be clean. My efforts to follow in the ambition to uh, seek uh, good looks, prosperity, freedom from want, financial security, sexual prowess, I think whiteness, all of the imaging that goes on that you inscribe into your head as you try to make decisions about where to put your energy and what direction to go in with your life, there was racism in it. The towns I lived in had no black people at all, no brown people. Menominee, Wisconsin, Rochester, Minnesota, Watertown, South Dakota, and all the little towns where I lived. My father lived in Mora, Minnesota. 
They were all around Minneapolis, and Minneapolis was our city. And that's where we wanted to go to see a big building, to see ambition, to see people in tailored suits. And now I pick up the newspaper, and there in front of me is a graphic, New York Times. And on the graphic, there's a red spot, ink spot, for every place in the last year where police have aggressed against a person of color. And it looks like a bad rash. Minneapolis has obviously lots and lots and lots. It's like stop and frisk here in New York. It's just methodical. It's all the time. Police got into the habit of doing it all the time. And they have a, a completely racist, violent uh, Patrick Lynch is our police union leader here in New York who compares to this person, a right-wing extremist and very much a Donald Trump type. So that was encouraged for a long time. Well, the people in Minneapolis, two of my sisters still live there, the people in Minneapolis who are trying to have uh, professionalized, upwardly mobile lives like I was trained to have, they simply didn't notice. They didn't see it. That is, now that's my opinion. I just don't think they knew about it. I've been in the conversations with some of my friends in Minneapolis. That's the impression I have. They just didn't, didn't know it was going on. They thought there's some trouble there, but nothing like what you see when you see George Floyd looking out and calling for his mama and calling and calling, please don't kill me. I can't breathe. And then this freak, Derek Chauvin, this police person, continues to kneel on George Floyd's neck well after, like almost a minute after, he has no life in him. He's gone limp. And I immediately thought of an interview that I saw of James Baldwin, the brilliant James Baldwin, really a conscience of our benighted country. He is surmising the kind of perspective that we must have, that that isn't just a black life. That's a black myth. The racism is so ingrained that he wouldn't be confident after he died that he had been able to control him. I know that people noticed this. I'm not the only one. I'd just like to play this for you right now. It's disturbing. James Baldwin. Here we go. I don't know, I don't know what white people see you know, when they look at a Negro anymore. But I do know very well um, that I realized when I was very young that whatever, whatever he was looking at, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, it was something he was afraid of. It was something um, to which he was attracted or which he found repulsive. But it wasn't me. I was not a man. Now, this image, I don't know what this image is, but it has something to do. It has something to do, I'm convinced of this, with the Puritan God. It has something to do with a peculiar and I believe absolutely bankrupt morality under which we all are suffering. The one person who was outside this constriction in fact and historically and in life was this pagan, this black pagan. Who was brought over Who was as brought a over, chattel. That's right. was brought over as a chattel uh, to, a, to, to God's country. 
It seems to me that it's a reflection, a direct reflection, of the effort made by the white American to keep away, to, to not be threatened by black people. In some way, the, the American vision of the world is all wrapped up with their vision of black men, which has to do with their, to do with their vision of themselves. Black is evil. The saved are white. Now, there's certainly a thread which connects this reality to, uh, which it make, makes, and makes it possible for uh, the Secretary of State to say, we will not do business with the devil. It is not a southern problem. It is a national problem. What is happening in New Orleans today began to happen over a hundred years ago when, in effect, the North, which was the government, having freed tens of thousands of illiterate black men they made no provision for them, none whatever, none whatever. They were dumped on the body politic and no one was responsible for them. And they were, of course, immediately political and, and industrial footballs for everybody. They were everybody's target. But in a way, black men were very useful to the American because in a country so absolutely undefined, no amorphous, where there were no limits, no height, really, and, and no depth. There was one thing of which one could be certain. One knew where one was by knowing where the Negro was. You knew that you were not on the bottom because the Negro was, because the Negro was there. You knew one knows what sin is in the same way. One knows what danger is in the same way. Now, this implies a vision of oneself, it seems to me, and a vision of the world which doesn't stop at the American borders. It is also the way America deals with the world. In must, cannot possibly avoid moving directly into the heart of the people who make up America. I mean, I, I mean that the problem will never be resolved until everybody in the country, in some way, I know how impossible this sounds, however, this is what has to happen, is able, is somehow enabled to do without this crutch. Oh, thank you, James Baldwin, from many years ago. I think that might have been the mid-60s. A conscience of our culture. Certainly speaking directly to the kinds of things we're trying to discover this week, the answers. Maybe we don't have the answers. Trying to discover better questions. I think we, I think we realize, I say we, uh, white people, people with this traditional default position of privilege, we have to throw away the answers that we have had, certainly, and find new questions. And James Baldwin asks us to ask the question, how do we mythologize black people? You know, where do we put them in the world of summarizing types, the black pagan? And then he goes on to, to ask us to ask ourselves, how do we place black people in our culture in our economy? Where do we measure ourselves vis-a-vis -vis this, this other kind of person who's on the bottom? You know, we only worship the Michael Jordans, but then it quickly goes to the bottom. We find our uh, footing, as it were. Well, maybe that's the wrong word. I can't help but think of Derek Chauvin killing this man, George Floyd, but not just killing his life, 
killing his black body, he had to be pulled off George Floyd, who had shown no resistance. Pleading for his life, is that resistance? Pleading for his life? Well, I just want to thank the Stop Shopping Choir musical director, Nehemiah Luckett, a native of Mississippi. I want to thank uh, the director of the Church of Stop Shopping, all the performances, um, all the activities, Savitri D. I want to thank the Fiery Eagles of Justice, Jason Candler on saxophone and effects, and Brendan Burke on drums. Thank you all for doing this with me. I'm very grateful. Be healthy, be safe. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. I'll try not to either. Life-a-lujah.